Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I've just gotten off of a 12-hour shift at work. There's a lot more pep in my voice than there is in my heart or my mind. But hey, I'm putting it on for you guys because we're on the road to Dragon Con, and today's guest is the director of the Dragon Con Horror Trail. Mr. Derek Tatum, who has become uh, one of my favorite people. Uh, I like talking to him about horror and pretty much everything else. Uh, we, we've messaged back and forth on Facebook about a good number of topics, and I always like talking to Derek, and you are going to enjoy today's conversation. And something, if you listen to last week's episode with uh, Gary and Joe, the directors of the Classics track, uh, you'll notice that we we talk about Dragon Con, but I tried to keep the conversation a little bit more general. So for those of you who uh, can't go to Dragon Con or maybe aren't as interested in Dragon Con, we're still covering uh, pop culture genre stuff. So we're going to talk about movies. We're going to talk about TV. We're going to talk about what's current in horror today. And I think everybody will enjoy this conversation. But... Before we get to that conversation, of course, I have an intro that I've got to get done. And what I'm going to do in today's intro is I'm going to run down the horror track panels that I will be part of at Dragon Con. Now, I've had these for a few weeks now. I got my official panel list uh, sometime last week, and Dragon Con has not yet uh, populated the app which, by the way, you need the Dragon Con app if you are going to Dragon Con. It's available on iTunes and uh, the Google Play Store. It's indispensable. You have to have it. It's it's updated constantly. When panels change, when guests change, when anything changes, it is a real-time notification of everything that you're interested in at Dragon Con. So it's August the 10th right now. As of this recording, they have not updated the app for 2017 yet, but I am sure it's coming any day now. This time last year it was up. Uh, but I, you know, every year they've improved the thing. And honestly, yes, it would be nice to look at now, but at the same time, yeah, we don't need it yet. Sure, it's going to be neat, but technically, what do we need it? A week out, maybe? Like, that's that's as close as we should get, because, I mean, we really do need to be able to start planning things. But you know what I'm saying here. Get the Dragon Con app. Uh, the program, the pocket program, has, has not been made available as of yet. So scheduling changes are still underway. So my point here is, one, Dragon Con has not officially announced panels yet, but I've seen people putting their panels up all over the place. And two... Everything is tentative until it's already happened. So I'm going to lay these panels out for you guys right now. And while I do expect to participate in all of these panels, the time and the place, who knows, could change. The other guests on the panels could change. It's Dragon Con, constantly in flux, 
Dragon Con is. I, I mangled that quote, but this is the horror podcast, so nobody's going to hold me to it. All right. So, uh, and, and I mean that as in Star Wars, not exactly horror, right? Uh, okay. So the first thing on my docket for the horror track this year is Behind the Grease Paint of Bad Clowns, which is something that, uh, while pretty much anything horror-related is up my alley, like, I could talk for an hour about almost any subgenre of horror. Now, there's some that I'm going to be more knowledgeable about than others, uh, and there's some that I would stick my hand up when asked to participate, and others that I might be like, well, if they need another guy, I'll do it. Uh, Evil Clowns is definitely something I'm familiar with uh, and, and have a lot to say on the topic, but I don't know that it's one that I would have jumped at. However, I'm going to be the moderator for this panel that is currently scheduled to include Larry Hama, who, anytime I can, I will be on a panel or just in a room with that guy, uh, James A. Moore, Benjamin Radford, and the Chiodo Brothers. Now, if you don't know, the Chiodo Brothers, uh, they they are... Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That's theirs. Uh, they've, they've got a lot of work beyond that, but for the purposes of this panel, that's going to be our touchstone uh, for these guys. And I'm moderating this panel, which means I'll be I'll be shining the spotlight on the guests of the panel. It, it's not, it's going to be a different experience for me. Uh, and if you come to the panel, you're going to see a different side of Phantom Troublemaker. Uh, because I'm going to be trying something, you know, I've, I've, to a certain extent, I've done that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, last year, uh, for the G.I. Joe panel, where Larry Hama was a guest, uh, I, I sort of shifted gears a little bit and made it less about myself and the other panelists and more about Larry Hama. And if you go back and listen to the Needless Things podcast episode of that from about a year ago, uh, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, or you'll hear what I'm talking about. So, same kind of thing with this, with Behind the Grease Paint of Bad Clowns. And that is Friday at 7 p.m. in Peachtree 1 and 2 in the Weston. Actually, all of these are currently scheduled for Peachtree 1 and 2 in the Weston. So, that's the first one. The next one, the Friday the 13th Legacy. So basically just discussing all things Friday the 13th. Uh, this one I'm also listed as the moderator, uh, but it will, it will be a little different style panel. I think we'll all have a great conversation on this one. Uh, also on the panel, David P. Dreher, And pardon me if I get that last name mispronounced. It's, it's especially with Dragon Con, seeing things only in print and, and only hearing them once you get there in person. It's a challenge. But David P. Dreher, Mary Mancusi, and Christopher G. Moore also will be on that panel. And we're going to talk about Jason Voorhees for an hour. That's freaking awesome. I could talk about any one of those movies. I could talk about the TV show, uh, which I don't know if we'll dip into that or not. I mean, it's certainly, you have to consider it as part of the Friday the 13th legacy, which I will certainly bring up if nobody else does. Uh, but I will, we'll definitely focus more on the movies, I'm sure, because there's plenty to talk about there. I, I could spend an hour talking about Jason Goes to Hell, I, I, and, and I may end up having to defend that movie in this panel. So tune into that one. That is Saturday at 2.30 p.m., also in the Peachtree 1 and 2 in the Westin. So 
following that one, I have the rest of my Saturday is pretty much devoted to the game show. But then Sunday at 4 p.m., honestly, this is a dream panel for me. And uh, Derek, if you listen to this, thank you so very much for putting me on this. And, uh, well, for putting me on all of these, but this one in particular is just, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to be a part of this. Uh, this is very special to me. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the Dream Warriors anniversary panel. Now, Dream Warriors, yes, very commonly known as the most popular of the franchise or the most well-liked of the franchise. But this, when I was a kid and I saw this movie, I connected with this one more than any of the others. It hit me at the right time. It had the right themes. Uh, it just really... Man, it, it it this is what made me love Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and I'm so excited to be talking about it. Uh, also appearing on this panel, Christopher G. Moore, Doc Rotten, the Black Saint, who I'm excited to experience and, and may have to have a feud with, depending on what goes on here. And then Thomas Mariani, uh, who was on a couple of the panels I did for the Horror Track last year and is a great guy. So I'm excited about that. I believe Horror News Radio is uh, that fella's place of business. And uh, it's I'm, I'm so excited about this panel, you guys. I can't even talk. But that's Sunday, 4 p.m. Uh, also, Peach uh, Tree 1 and 2 Weston. And I'm only now, as I'm recording and saying Peach Tree aloud, uh, understanding that it is a bit of a tricky word to pronounce, or at least it is for me anyway. And living in Atlanta, you'd think Peach Tree would be no big deal, uh, particularly with all of the peach trees that I've lived on and around. But it's it's a weird one, especially when you're trying to get a lot of information across in a timely manner, which is what I do in these introductions. Finally, the Santa Clarita Diet Fan Panel, Sunday at 10 p.m. Joining me will be E.J. Stevens and James A. Moore. I, As you know, if you're a regular listener of this show, I adore that program. I, I'm very excited about talking to it. I recently just rewatched it before I even knew I was going to be doing this panel. So totally stoked about this. Considering buying a new suit just for this panel, which would be a ridiculous expenditure, but if you want to help me with the ridiculous expenditures, you can go to supportphantom.com. Check it out. It's how I pay for the hosting for this website and this podcast and uh, also how I pay to go to cons and stuff. Pay for the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show Show, which is Saturday midnight in the Hyatt International South Ballroom. Guys, I'm just going to keep throwing information at you until I feel like it's time to kick it to my interview with Derek Tatum. One final thing. If you need to revisit Nightmare on Elm Street 3, any of the Friday the 13th movies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, or any other evil clown movies like The Excellent Clown that came out recently and far surpassed my expectations, or uh, possibly Santa Clarita Diet. I don't know if that's out on physical media yet, but if you need to check out any of that stuff, order some Blu-rays, order some DVDs, uh, probably Laserdisc and VHS even, go to needlessthingssite.com. Click on that big square Amazon box in the top right corner and order some stuff. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and Needless Things and your old pal Phantom Troublemaker get a little kickback from every purchase you make. It's one of the easiest and best ways you can help out Needless Things and everything that I do to entertain you, 
the people. All right, guys, uh, I think that's as much intro time as I really want to take up today. Plus, I, I just want to go to bed. I'm so sleepy, and I've got to work again tonight. And then i got to get up Friday and uh, go see The Nut Job 2 because that's uh, it's my son's first week of school. And he, he, you know, I want to do something cool Friday night. We're okay. We're back. We're on the weekend. We get to spend time together as a family again. What do you want to do? I want to see the nut job too. Okay. We'll go see the nut job too. My only concern is I haven't seen the nut job one. So I'm, I'm a little worried I'm going to be lost, you guys. I, I might have to read a Wikipedia article. All right. I never imagined this intro would end on the nut job, but, uh, there we go. There it is. I am going directly now to my conversation with Derek Tatum, the director of the Dragon Con Horror Track. Enjoy. Time once again for Dragon Con coverage here on the Needless Things podcast. And this week's guest is none other than the director of the horror track returning to the show, Derek Tatum. Welcome back. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me back. I am so excited about the horror track this year. I'm excited about the fact that I understand now that the parade blocks me off from everything else in the world. And that I will not have parade issues this year. <laughs> that uh, that broke my heart last year, uh, missing that panel because of the freaking parade and just not being prepared to get to the Westin. And actually, as a tip for our listeners, uh, if there is stuff going, if you're in the Westin and there's stuff going on elsewhere, or if you're elsewhere and there's stuff going on in the Westin and it's anywhere near Saturday morning parade time, then. You need to plan accordingly. Yep, I've done that many times myself, and I think I'm going to have to do that again this year, too. So uh, uh, just sort of, there, there's ways around, but allow yourself plenty of extra time. That's all I'm saying. Well, and that's what it is, because you, you know, and, and if you do find yourself in a jam where you haven't given yourself enough time, you basically just have to go down to uh, uh, Cortland and walk all the way over and then back up to the Westin. That's the only way to avoid the parade if, if you've waited too long uh, to get through the normal ways. So, uh, first, I want to start this off, because last year we covered pretty well your history with the horror track, and we'll get into the, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit again in a minute. But I really want to start just talking about what's going on in horror right now. And I know you and I both have a mutual admiration for The Exorcist, which will be returning for a second season. Uh, I'm very excited that we're getting another season of this show because it was very touch and go towards the end of the last season. Like there, there were times, if you remember, where we weren't even sure we were going to get a whole season of the first season. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what, uh, I personally, I felt, because I don't know that you and I have even really touched base about how the thing wrapped up. Uh, personally, I was very satisfied with, uh, I'll keep this as spoiler-free as possible, with the big reveal that I don't think anybody really saw coming. Which is funny because we all should have. Oh, yeah. But 
it was uh, so well handled that by that point, you, I really just thought, well, I'm just watching a quality show about exorcists that's, quote, set in the world of right. the exorcist. And, and at that point, I didn't care that it had no other connections. And then when they dropped the bomb, I was like, oh, wait. That's awesome, and it was handled so well, well, you know. So, and I think one of the keys to it was that the story up to that point had been so compelling, and it was so well done that we weren't looking for reasons to like it or to tie it to what we knew. It was just good on its own. Oh yeah, I totally agree. So that is returning for a second season. I, for one, and and I, I think we might have discussed this a little bit. Uh, I tend to avoid spoilers, trailers, articles that get too in-depth. So I really don't know anything about Season 2 except that the poster has a big spooky house in the woods on it. Yeah, I, I'm not reading anything in-depth, but I'll occasionally see articles about like cast members who have been added and um, a couple of other things. So, um, But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'll be honest, I'm also kind of dreading it. Because the first season, while it ended in such a way where there can be additional stories, if it had ended where it did, then that would have been a completely satisfying season. And and everything was wrapped up where it needed to be as far as the most important things. Uh, so they've got a tall order ahead of them, I think. They really do, but but at the same time... I think they handled everything very smartly in that, yes, if they had not gotten a renewal, that first season is a, is a complete story unto itself. But they also set up this larger world uh, of, of conspiracy and uh, just bigger things happening, which is what delighted me so much about that first season is when they really started expanding things. It was very exciting for me because I love that kind of – Illuminati background secret society type stuff. Oh yeah. And to bring that into that world was so interesting and and they still like that story can continue to expand but it can do it around whatever smaller more personal story they're going to tell with whatever that house in the woods is about. Yeah. So I think uh I at this point I trust the showrunners because they wowed me again and again last season. Uh, and, and in general, if a show is really good, I will trust that it can remain so for about three seasons. Well, did you uh, did it surprise you in retrospect that you know Rupert White is involved with it, and you know he's kind of made a name for himself as being as taking on projects that sound iffy on paper and mm -hmm. making them good. You know, he directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Right, right. Uh, so it's like, huh? Well, if it, it if it's a project that sounds sketchy, but he's involved with it, I think I'm going to start continue giving him the benefit of the doubt. You know? Yeah, he so. he seems to be able to recognize the that diamond in the rough kind of thing, and he seems to have the skills to to carve that diamond out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree but, very much. I, I his is a name I will trust. Yeah, and and for listeners, yes, watch this show if you like horror. This is uh, it, it's certainly one of the best 
uh, horror television series I can think of. And even if I mean, it, even if it does get spoiled in any way, like if you haven't checked it out yet, but somebody said, "Oh, this thing happened," don't feel like anything hinges on that. It's just an interesting reveal. The rest of the story, with or without that, is is tremendous. Yeah, Ben Daniels just kills it oh all over the place. He he's so so good, and I'm so I'm. My assumption is I haven't actually read it anywhere. My assumption is that he and the other father are back for the second season. Yeah, yeah. There's there's returning characters uh, for certain. So, but the family will not be back, right? Which is I'm glad of because yes. that that uh, wrapped that story up completely. Yes, their so. story is done, uh, and it's time. Honestly, it's time to look at this larger world that they created last season, and I think that's fantastic. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Uh, let's let's move on to another series that delighted me in a completely different way, and uh, I don't we don't want to get too in depth about it, but it's something that also got renewed for a second season, and that was Santa Clarita Diet. Oh yeah, yeah that that's the show that came out of nowhere. I I might have mentioned this to you before, but before it came out, they were I saw the advertisements and I knew that it was going to have like. At what at first, what I thought was going to be a horror flavor, like I really expected something like the Burbs, the television series. Yes, you know something along those lines. And then within the first thirty minutes, I was like, <laughs> "This, this is like a Trojan horse." I, who knows who turned who tuned into this only to be confronted with this hardcore gore. Oh well, and the funny thing is, is lots of people was the answer to that question because online. I mean, it it erupted with people who were upset and horrified, and I, and I love that. I it, it makes me so happy. And look, you know, if I think about something like, oh, my mom tuned in because she likes Drew Barrymore and she was interested to see what it was, then, like, sure, it would upset me to know that she saw that scene because she she has a much more delicate nature than I do. But at the same time, just the thought of people checking that show out because they like Drew Barrymore or Timothy Oliphant or whatever the case may be. And then that very first eruption, because that's what it was. Oh, man, I love that thought so much. And the, the show's so, you know, it's really hard in this day and age to use the word subversive and have it really mean anything. But I felt like this show was very subversive. Yeah, my, I can see that. Um you know, and it's funny, I know who Timothy Oliphant is, but I had never seen him in anything. So now I equate him with that weird, awkward <laughs> comedy <laughs> that that I saw on this show. And I know that's not what he typically does. No, but, it isn't. That's so funny. But, I love that. But, I mean, he, he was so good doing it. Well, and, <laughs> it was, and the thing is, uh, you know, he more... More often than not, he is some kind of steely-eyed, suave killer. And I say killer as in one who has the capacity to kill, not as in just some murdering guy. Uh, and in this, I feel like he's actually playing more to himself. Because if you see him in interviews and stuff, he is kind of a dry, funny guy. He's He is a little odd. But he just happens to have played a lot of characters that are that suave, uh, sort of badass. Yeah. But I, I love that 
you know, that's one of the things I like so much about media is we all have different perceptions of it. We're all exposed to things in different ways. So in my head, while Oliphant will always be more his character from Justified or his character from Deadwood, for you, he's this like kind of goofy weirdo. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Now, so, now, think of it. I did see the Crazies remake, so uh, he was in that. So, well, and, but to be honest, that movie maybe didn't make that much of an impression. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, quite. But... It wasn't quite a Santa Clarita diet uh, as far as the uh, making an impression of this right, guy's right. Uh, uh, on-screen persona. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm very excited the second season of that is coming back. It had me absolutely just engrossed through the whole thing. We we binged that because me and the wife, we don't always like the same things, but we both loved this one, and we, we got through this show within a week easily, which, which is, you know, scheduling-wise now, time is quite precious. So to get through any show in a week is great. And I'll tell you something that, uh, with both of these shows, something that they have in common is they both had shorter seasons than traditionally television shows have had. You know, the, the 22 episode season is very common, but right now I'm loving shows that have 13 episodes or less. How, how do you feel about that? Oh, I prefer it. Um, in fact, I don't think any of the shows I watch regularly um, have those full 22 or more episode seasons. I think everything I watch is pretty truncated. And I I prefer it because it cuts out a lot of meandering. Not always. I mean, there's some shows that still wander all over the place, but um, the shorter seasons make for better economy of storytelling. Yes, and especially when you're dealing with the horror genre, which is very difficult to adapt to serialized television anyways. Well, because it's hard to sustain that that sort of magical quality that horror has. Uh, that's why horror films typically are 90 minutes or less, like some of the, the most of the best ones, because you just get exhausted. Yeah. And, it, and it's hard to draw that storytelling out, as American Horror Story has proven with each and every season. Although I still maintain that their their format is still inspired. I just uh, I don't think any of the seasons have lived up to the first season. I, I agree um, with you very much. Now I liked uh, the first first season is my favorite. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite seasons of television at all. Uh, but I, and I can't remember if we've discussed this or not. I liked hotel a lot. As a matter of fact, it's my second favorite season of the show, but a lot of people apparently didn't. I, 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 I liked it. Okay. I mean, I think a large part of my appreciation for that season was it was trying. I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, movie, the hunger. Oh, and sure. uh, the uh, 80s uh, remake of Cat People. And to me, Hotel seemed like it was paying homage to that very specific style of 80s horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's why I liked that season fairly well. But um, 
I don't know. It, it's up and down, up and down. It is. It's a roller coaster of a show. And, and, but, it's, you know, while I haven't loved every season, uh, I do like the fact that it seems like they're appealing to different corners of fandom with each season because there, there has been, there hasn't been a single season that was universally panned. Like every season has had its fans. So I, I actually would prefer, I, I like that they're catering to different people in different ways. Like I don't need to love everything as much as everybody does. I think it's kind of cool that there are other people with different tastes that think the freak show see or carnival or whatever it was that think that season was the best of all. I think that's kind of cool that we can have these different viewpoints on the show and different opinions about the different things that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about it, but, uh, you do have a point. So, all right. Well, I guess we touched on American horror story. I don't know anything about the next season. Uh, I don't e- I didn't even finish the last season, uh, the Roanoke season. Uh, cause it just, it didn't capture me once, once they revealed the reality show aspect of it, it, it kind of, I kind of lost interest. Um, I, I don't know exactly what my issue was, but I, I just did. I've, I kind of faded out on that one, but this next season is called the cult and is purportedly tied into current events quite a bit, which I mean, honestly for me dulls my interest. I, I don't yeah. want I don't want the show to suddenly be providing political commentary because I, I'm not uh, I don't have faith and, and look politics and horror have gone hand in hand forever but I don't feel like these guys have the subtlety to to weave it in in a way that I find palatable. It's a fine line to walk. It uh, is. That's all. That's really all I can say about it. And um, you know. Either either you got the touch like Rod Zerling often did, or or you don't. Uh, yes, yes, that that's an um, excellent way to put it, and most don't. <laughs> so, but I mean, um, the the show has enough goodwill with me though that I, you know, I'll check it out. I'll give it a couple episodes for sure. By the way, thinking of these anthology, uh, like season long anthology shows, did you see uh, um, uh, Channel Zero on Sci Fi Channel? Oh yes, yes. Talk about. Uh, well, okay. It, it relates to two things that we've discussed. One, it was daring and very different. Two, it sort of sagged in the middle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, you know, I, I remember reading the original Candle Cove story, and its power, I guess you could say, was in its brevity. So, so turning that into a season was always going to be <laughs> fraught a bit with peril, but. But I thought they pulled it off. Now, I'm looking forward to this next season. I think the material on it uh, may may lend itself a little bit better to uh, a multi-episode storyline. I'm but, not uh, sure if I even know. What is the next season? I, I want to say it's called No End House. Um, yes, I, I'm the horror guy, and I should know these things, but unfortunately... Uh, the actual title has Man, slipped you, my mind. You can't but, keep uh, up with everything. Oh, God, no. Not now. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's weird. You know, I, I was talking about this with uh, uh, Carol, who runs the uh, Urban Fantasy Track. She's one of my uh, oldest friends at the convention at this point. 
And, you know, we were talking, we're like, you know, back in the day, we kind of had to struggle to find television shows. And now it's like, you know, every track seems like they have like seven or more TV shows that are specifically tied to their track. You know? Yeah, well, (laughs) it's interesting. I mean, TV is so different. You know, you have actors now crossing from film to television whenever they want, whereas, you know, even 10 or 15 years ago, an actor that went from making film to television, it was seen as like a step down. Yeah. And now now TV, you know, narratively, budget-wise, talent-wise, everything – TV is is the form of storytelling. Actor, you know, actors will get, have do interviews and talk about how, you know, without the restrictions of film, you know, the sure the schedule's more hectic, but we're getting the best quality stories from television beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, they also engendered the largest fan bases too, because I mean, outside of Star Wars and the uh, Marvel movies, uh, you know, b- most of the really um, dedicated fandoms are centered around television shows. Yeah. So, yeah, that's absolutely true, and, and it's funny because you you know the it, it's movies are such a tough thing right now because franchises dominate everything, and it's hard to get original, interesting ideas out there. Whereas on television, you have things happening like Santa Clarita Diet, like uh, Channel Zero, like. Uh, one I just discovered recently that's on Hulu called Dimension 404. Have you seen that? And that's completely new to me. I've never even heard of it. Well, so. I had I hadn't either. Uh, just because we we only recently got Hulu, my wife actually wanted to get Hulu. For, I can't remember what the show was, but it, it was for that. And I was like, look, we've got Amazon, we've got Netflix. We 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 cannot do another service. I can't. We're paying as much for streaming services as we're paying for cable almost. Uh, so she signed up for it. So, of course, I latched on, and I'm watching stuff on Hulu. And there's a show called Dimension 404 that is a – it's an anthology show. Each episode is a different story. Uh, it's it's like a – from watching the first episode, it's kind of like a lighter version of the Black Mirror. Uh, oh, okay. But it's uh, – the first episode was – it's definitely lighter because there there were some laughs, but it is that twilight. <laughs> yeah, there, it's that twilight zone ish. Uh, you know, it had it had the twist, and it was a very the first episode anyway. It's the only one I've watched so far because they're hour long, so it's not like you just sit down and watch a few at a time. Uh, oh yeah. But the first episode actually surprised me by having a very effective, well thought out twist. But it stars uh, the guy from I Zombie. Um, Oh, shoot, the big, handsome, strong guy. I can't remember his name right now, which is stupid because whatever his name is, it basically is big, handsome, strong guy. Uh, but he's in it. Pat Oswalt, uh, Pat Oswalt is in the second one. Like they, each episode has like kind of a star in it. Oh, okay. Very similar to how Twilight Zone, uh, often did. But I, I liked it. it. But it's only on Hulu, which drives me nuts because it means it's got a very limited, audience but yeah dimension 404 for the listeners if you do have hulu uh totally worth uh checking out at least the first one i can't speak to the rest of the series because i haven't gotten around to it yet (laughs) do you think there's a place for 
a Twilight Zone revival in this day and age? Do you think there are creative minds out there that could live up to the standards set by the prior Twilight Zones? And I'm including in this, obviously, the original show. And then I think there have been two revival series but the yeah, early there's two that I, yeah two, two I know of the early so. 90s one is the one I'm thinking of because it it provided some of the some of the creepiest stories that that have stuck with me my entire life uh one of them is a shadow man uh which I've talked about on the show before and I don't know if you do you remember the shadow man from that twilight zone no no I just I, really? I actually haven't seen that many of the uh uh, I think it was eight, the eight, eight, late 80s, if memory was it, serves. Yeah, you're probably right. It probably was late 80s, because I think I would have been a little bit younger watching it. It might have even been like 87, 88, something like that. Yeah, I want to say Yeah, I want to say it was 80s, but I, I could be wrong. Oh, so. you know what? No, you're absolutely right. It was mid to late 80s, and then the 90s revival, or, or even later, it might have been even later, but I there was one that Forrest Whitaker hosted, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that might have been early 2000s. Okay, yeah, it, it, it yeah. was it was that much later. But anyway, some of, you know, they weren't all winners. And, and if we're being honest, in my opinion anyway, the, even the original series, not everyone knocked it out of the park. But the ones that were good were great. Oh, yeah. yeah Do that... you think it could come back at this point and still be effective? Well, you know, you mentioned Black Mirror, and honestly, I... I don't really think i think uh black mirror is really the closest thing that i've ever seen uh to the original twilight zone um so it, i mean it's possible and you know yeah I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to try sooner or later oh sure <laughs> but uh, you know um, a couple of years ago they were even talking about uh resurrecting the twilight zone brand name for a series of uh, a standalone motion pictures, but they were going to be like sci-fi action thrillers. And I was like, I Ugh. think you might have missed the point. Uh, but, you know, you look at um, the Cloverfield movies. Those are basic. Well, to me, the Cloverfield movies are good Outer Limits movies. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be done. Will it be done well? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I really have some questions about. But then again, who who, who knows? Uh, the idea of a uh, television series based on The Exorcist sounded like awful on paper. Well, you're too. right. You're right. And uh, I mean, uh, bring, bringing back Planet of the Apes again that sounded questionable at the time. Well, and, and not it, only bringing it back, but doing prequels, which you know. General common sense tell us tells us that prequels are almost always a terrible idea. But, but those two things, well, you know, they show that it can be done so long as the right people are brought in as creative talent. So, I mean, well, and that's what it comes down to with anything. If if the you know if you've got a talented writer and and talented creative people behind it, it really doesn't even matter what it is. It's just a matter of having a vision and having the skills to execute it. Yeah. Hey, hey Universal, Matt Reeves uh, and Andy Circus. that's who you want to do your Universal monster movies. Man, just you're not throw kidding. money at them. They'll do it right. Just get those two on board. So did you, did you go see The Mummy? Did you bother? I did. I did. <sighs> well, 
I I enjoyed it. I, I'm I'm real easy to please a lot of times, but but is it the Universal Monster kickoff that I wanted? No, did it, but it's I pretty much expect I got what I expected, <laughs> you know. So uh, you know I. I, I, I I really think that if that if they had just been honest about themselves and made the movies focus on the secret organization, I mean, just basically do it like a serious version of Men in Black or something. Yes. yes. But instead of trying to pay lip service to it being a mummy movie, you know, I think I think that would have been a lot better because it seemed like that's really what they wanted to do anyways. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, absolutely agree. But. That's neither here nor there. I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. Um, I mean, obviously, Bride of Frankenstein's in the pipeline, but with Bill Condon on it, I think it's so long as they don't try to force him to put in a bunch of universe building junk. Well, um, I think my I mean my takeaway from the Mummy, the stuff that was good was very cool. I liked, like you said, if they had just made it more of a story about that organization and also if it had not been Tom Cruise I uh, to me he will and, and look I'm a guy who sees the name Tom Cruise thinks ugh Tom Cruise and then usually goes to see the movie and is like oh that's right he's actually really good at doing this uh, but I didn't feel that way in this one to me it almost felt like you know I actually like him as an actor and but to me, it felt like he was on autopilot. Like yes, yes. Like like it was like I don't I don't know what was going on behind He's, the scenes. But it felt like he just defaulted to action Tom Cruise role. I agree, one hundred percent. Every line felt like he was just reading it off a page. Uh, he didn't seem he didn't seem into it he just seemed like he was there for the paycheck which i've never seen out of him before so it was really surprising i don't i i, I don't know i'm i'm going to be very curious to see how this affects their grandiose plans for the future but but seriously you know reboots are a thing in hollywood so all i'm saying if anybody from universal happens to be listening to needless things podcast <laughs> Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis, hey, go ahead and throw in a role for uh, Doug Jones. I'm, I'm in favor of anything that gives Doug Jones money. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, that that would be a good place to um, recalibrate your approach. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, although Matt Reeves is going to be busy with Batman for a little while. so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Put him but- on one of the later projects. Yeah, but um, and and oddly enough, I, I don't. Uh, I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing his Batman movies. Oh, I, I, I absolutely am. I, he 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 has he has really he has a lot of goodwill with me. I'll just say that he's taken some projects that I felt were very iffy, uh, and turned them into gold. So he's certainly somebody I'm going to be paying attention to. So, well, we've had a little bit of horror talk uh, that I think the listeners have probably enjoyed hearing uh, sort of your insight into what's going on right now. 
Uh, let's focus down now on DragonCon talk. Uh, real quickly, let's just touch on sort of your history as the director of the horror track, just as far as how long you've been doing it. Well, I was asked to board in 2005 uh, for what was then the goth track. Um, a couple of years later, we actually changed the uh, title over to uh, Dark Fantasy. But and at the time, we were kind of, we were kind of covering a combination of horror and uh, urban fantasy. Um, but then, urban fantasy blew up. And uh, it separated in 2013 uh, to Urban Fantasy and Horror. And uh, my friend Carol took over Urban Fantasy, and I took over Horror. So urban, horror, been, horror is pretty straightforward, but Urban Fantasy is like what, like Lost Girl and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, it, 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 one of the reasons I really pushed to have Carol um, in, uh, as the director of that track is because she knows the parameters very well. Okay. And unfortunately, some of the urban fantasy fans I've run into have that um, mentality of, I like it, therefore it belongs to my genre. Uh, but yeah, Carol's, yeah. Carol's not like that. She knows the difference between urban fantasy and horror. Um, and um, and it, a lot of times it really just comes down to tone. I mean, there's a lot of things that were considered horror uh, back in the day that would now be considered urban fantasy, I'd say. You know, um, but, um, yeah, it, it's it's sometimes a slippery slope, but um, we have – we work together well to uh, maintain the boundary uh, – boundaries pretty well so well and that's something that i've learned uh in in talking you know in in kind of branching out to various tracks and talking to you guys over the years is that there is a lot of cooperation there there is generally respect for boundaries and that you guys your your intent is to create the best content for the dragon con fans that you can yeah. Like that is always what's at the heart uh, of any kind of the scheduling or anything else. Yeah, I certainly do. So, so this year, uh, we obviously I want I've always got to make this uh, proclamation prior to any discussion of any Dragon Con schedule. Everything is tentative, and nothing is uh, set in stone until you're walking out of the panel. <laughs> Yeah, you beat me to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a less clunky way of phrasing that? No, no, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much. This is this is tentative. Things can, and uh, as far as times, almost certainly will change. Um, but I, you know, I, actually, I think um, I think I'm going to be surprised if there's a lot of changes to what I have, what I turned in to my uh, senior directors uh what uh, some listeners may not realize is it doesn't go direct from my brain to the schedule uh there is a process in place where i have to submit panels to my senior directors and they'll and they're the ones who effectively sign off on them you know i've i've never had something rejected but so, at the same time you know at the end of the day somebody is making the decision over my head 
uh, whether to we're going to move forward on something or not. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, and that's just you know any. Regardless of anything else, Dragon Con is an organization. It is an, an entertainment venue, and there have to be levels of uh, programming, levels of approval, and whatever else. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, somebody's responsible for all this. Somebody's responsible for the paying customers walking home happy. Yeah, and, and, and that's just it. Um, I do try to emphasize to my uh, volunteers and speakers that this is some people's vacation. So, you know, people, people, people pay a lot of money to come to this and, um, be entertained, you know? So, uh, I really do try to, uh, keep that in mind whenever I'm putting together programming and things. I, I don't want it to just be like my personal ego, yes. you know? Yes. So, of course, there are some panels in there that are very obviously things that are of interest to me personally. <laughs> no. Well, but that's your, you know, as track director, you know, you you have that, you know, there, you have a responsibility to the fans, but at the same time, you did the work to become the track director, so you get a few vanity items in there too. Oh yeah, like there's, that's there's definitely no deserved, and that's, I, I mean, I and and. This is just for me personally, and I've talked about the responsibility of entertainment several times, but to me, there's nothing more valuable to a human being than time. And yeah. if, if I'm on a panel or hosting a game show or doing any, or, or recording a podcast, people are giving me their time, and I take that responsibility very seriously. Yeah, I I want to give them not their money's worth, but their time's worth, and and that's I feel like you and certainly the classic track guys and and, and Bo over in the puppetry track, I feel like you guys are all very conscious of that and very respectful of that in your programming. Yeah, well, I certainly try to uh, um, make things interesting. So, so since you took the reins on this one. Uh, <laughs> Technology has changed. Excuse me. Oh, no I'm problem. I'm sorry. Uh, s- since you took the reins, technology has changed, uh, and, and DragonCon management has changed, uh, for that matter. Are, are things, as far as the programming goes, is it a little easier for you now? Is it a little more streamlined? Do things come to you more easily as far as putting together the puzzle that is your schedule? Um. Yes. I mean... It's still like a house of cards a lot of times, you know, but uh, certainly the uh, being able to uh, submit the uh, uh, panels is certainly easier, you know, due to technology. Sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the process has certainly become better. I mean, um, you know, there's always uh, improvements being made here and there, but... Um, you know, well, just as a fan looking at like the website and the and the uh, literature and everything else, uh, I feel like the communication has become so much more efficient than it was, uh, you know, obviously twenty years ago. But e- even just when I started going regularly again in two thousand nine, it's it's light years ahead of where it was then. I mean, they they've really 
modernized the the experience i feel like oh yeah that you pretty much had to they pretty much had to um once it just blew up yeah with the crowds it was drawing i mean it, it was no longer it was no longer our uh, private party right right yeah <laughs> so, no that's a good way of putting it too because when i uh i mean the first time i went or the first time i experienced it uh, a full day of it anyway it felt like that it felt like oh my gosh all the nerds are here this is wonderful and while it still has that feel to it it's so much bigger now because uh pop culture has embraced all of our various genres now much more so than it had 20 years ago. Yeah. That that is true. So, let's get down to the nuts and bolts. Uh obviously we don't go we don't have to go into too much detail, but let's just highlight a, a few of the things that the horror track is going to be looking at this year. What like when when you were putting the schedule together, what are a few of the things that that were immediately in your mind, like, oh, I want to make a spot for this? Um, well, one of the very first panels that ideas that I came up with was uh, one focusing on uh, kaiju literature. Uh, you know, kaiju films have been around for decades, obviously, but in recent years, uh, there's been a uh, field of, uh, like, uh, novels written in the genre and that was something that I was really interested in, and uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to have any uh, authors who had written in that field, but uh, wound up getting some. So that should be interesting. Um, I thought that was really cool. That was one of the first panel ideas I came up with, and it pretty much stuck until I submitted my schedule. So, Well, and I, since you mentioned it, I'll go ahead and put over a friend of mine, uh, Timothy Price, who wrote a novel called Big in Japan and, and, a, and a follow-up novel as well. Uh, that is very uh, poppy. It's it's almost like Scott Pilgrim saves the world, but in the world of kaiju, and and that may not be a fair comparison. But uh, for the listeners, check out Timothy Price, and for everybody else, if we can ever get him back to Atlanta for Dragon Con, uh, he'd be a fantastic guest. Yeah, he, I, I met him at Monsterama a few years ago, uh, and very very nice guy. In fact, you know, I gotta say. Uh, the Godzilla fandom rekindled my interest in um, the Godzilla franchise because, uh, yeah, I met uh, him. I met, uh, I apologize if I mispronounce his name, but Haruo Nakajima, um, the man who actually played Godzilla. And, you know, these are really nice people. This is a very friendly fandom. And uh, just the friendliness of the fandom made me interested in those films again. So. It's, it's funny how that can happen, isn't it? Where it's something that maybe might be a little bit of a peripheral interest, but then you start meeting people that love it and they're cool, and you're like, if this many cool people like this thing, maybe I need to dig a little deeper. Yeah, well, I, I was when I was a kid, uh, interestingly enough, when I was a kid, I was more of a Godzilla, King Kong kid before I moved on to the like, Universal Monsters. So it was almost like I was reconnecting with something that I loved when I was like a real little. So, but yeah, yeah, that and that absolutely because for uh, for me it was a matter of uh, just that I hadn't 
really watched any Godzilla since I was watching them on, you know, whether it was Commander USA's Groovy Movies or TBS or whatever I was watching back in the day. It it had just been a long time, and then I, I sort of got in with Timothy and the crowd that was hanging out with him and whatever else, and I was like, man, these guys are great, and also giant monsters are great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, one of the panel ideas that I've submitted uh, was uh, actually a look at uh, the American Godzilla uh, films, you know, uh, focusing on the uh, current uh, MonsterVerse uh, that's developing. Yes, I'm yes. Uh, you know, um, what I find interesting about those films is, um, I guess it it might be arguable that they're horror films. I find it funny that once a monster gets over twenty feet tall, it's suddenly science fiction. <laughs> uh, but but what I find interesting about those uh, these new films, there's a very Cthulhu mythos feeling to them. You know, yeah. the whole idea of you know, these, we're not the real rulers of this world. They're going to come back and put us in our place. Man, I, you know, I, I, that hadn't really occurred to me, but you're right. There is a very, like, elder gods type vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure if that's intentional with these, uh, uh, these uh, American films, but that's certainly what I'm getting out of them. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, I'm, we're, we're of course focusing on the American one, so as not to uh, intrude on uh, you know what Silk Road is doing, of sure. course. Um, but you know, yeah, as you can see, Kaiju have been on the brain recently. So, um, you know, uh, one that we've talked about, um, I'm want is uh, I've actually had calls for panels about evil clowns in the past, and I've always wondered. <laughs> how I could tie that together, but we actually have uh, several uh, evil clown themed guests coming. Excuse me. You know, um, I can't really guarantee who's going to be on the panel at this moment, but um, you know, I certainly put out invites to some people and I think that's going to be really interesting. So Uh, this one fascinates me because you, you mentioned it to me previously and uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to drop any names right now, but I will say you blew my mind with one that that I wasn't even aware of. Uh, this this panel is is shaping up to be one of the things I'm most excited about at Dragon Con, which is not you know if if somebody had just told me without context, hey, you're going to be really stoked about an evil clowns panel. I would have I would have <laughs> I, I would have looked at them questioningly at least. But but man, yeah, I'm I'm actually totally fascinated by this one now. Yeah, well, what really tied it together was, uh, you know, that individual is coming, um, and then also um, Benjamin Radford, who uh, I want to say he does a lot of stuff with the Skeptics track, but, um, excuse me, he wrote a book called Bad Clowns. Which kind of uh, inspired the panel, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping he'll he'll be able to make it. Oh, perfect. You know, uh, but uh, and he's the and that's the book where I learned about the thing that blew your mind, right? Right. Um, you know, um, and my friend Jim Moore, he agreed to be on it. So he he he's a horror. Well, actually, he's a all sorts of genre writer, but um, probably best known for horror. I'd say. Uh, he's he's actually dealt with the topic before too, so uh, that should be an interesting panel. 
uh, if nothing else. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested not only to discuss sort of the the genre and pop culture representations of evil clowns, but you know why why are we afraid of clowns? What happened there? What went wrong? <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, the- what else? What else have we got on the schedule this year? Well, another early panel that I kind of promised everybody, so I had to follow through with it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the uh, anniversary of uh, you know Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream Warriors. Oh, yeah. So um, that's one that we're going to do. And originally, I was going to have a, a Lost Boys panel because I know there's people who love that movie and some people who hate that movie. Personally, it's one of my favorite movies. A uh, very influential film on me, and I wanted to do a panel, but in the end, there were. I didn't want this to be the anniversary track, right? So, right. Uh, so we. I wound up uh, bundling a bunch of uh, things together into 1987, the year in horror. Oh, okay, so, cool, cool. I, well, actually, that was inspired by your by that episode you did a couple of weeks ago. Now that I think about it, I, well, and that's you know, I love the the very first, and, and this has basically informed a lot of my presentation since then. My very first Dragon Con panel was uh, a panel about the movies of 1982. Yeah, and when you have sort of that guideline to go by, I think it makes for a very fun discussion and, and to have a fun format to, to draw these things together. Because one of the best parts about it is like, you know, for me personally, a lot of times when I'm looking back at older movies, things that I saw when I was younger to, to look back and say, Oh my gosh, that movie came out the same year as that movie. What does that mean to where Hollywood was at the time? How interesting is it that these two things happened, you know, together? I, I just I love looking at the context of like what happened historically this year. So yeah, nineteen eighty seven in horror. One, it's gonna be great because that was a great year for genre movies. Uh yeah, absolutely. That's I'm I'm stoked about that one. Yeah, that should be excellent. That but, should be an interesting one. And and Dream Warriors is one of my favorite horror movies and my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. So that I mean that's for me a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's um, I don't know. It's kind of tough uh, between that one and the first one for me. Um, but I would say that I, I have a lot more fun watching the third one. I, I'll say that. I so. agree with you on that one. And, and the thing is, uh, I did not see the first one first. Uh, I saw, I def, the second one, uh, Freddy's Revenge was the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie that I saw. And I, I reference this all the time, but when I was a kid, HBO was, was generally how I saw movies. Now my mom would take me oh, to see, yeah. my mom would take me to see like family friendlier stuff in the movie theater. But as far as like horror movies and stuff, it was whatever was on HBO. And I saw Freddy's Revenge. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I saw Dream Warriors before I saw the first one. So, unfortunately for the original Nightmare on Elm Street, by the time I saw it, I had already seen things that were a little more fantastical, that were a little more out there. So it seemed almost mundane in comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly see that. And, you know, it's funny because... Um uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, with the exception of the uh, remake, which I despised, 
Uh, yeah, um, that. Well, it was uh, you know great what? cast. I don't. I don't even despise it. It was just pointless. Yeah, I. I, I just. I've, yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's that. That's why I didn't like it. Is because it was pointless. That, that that's the one they should have really have come out and really put their best foot forward on, and they just went with. Well, <laughs> well, the only the only addition was rather than being a child killer, Freddie was a child molester, which is awful, a terrible idea. And actually, now that I'm saying that, I kind of do despise it. But it was just it was just limp and pointless. Other than that, you know, a friend of mine before uh, before that got uh, made, he had come up with an idea for how he would have uh, uh, remade Nightmare on Elm Street and. Uh, his idea it was very similar, but instead of Freddie actually being guilty, he was the victim of like a like a McMartin style uh, conspiracy. Sure, sure. You know where he was basically, and that and that would explain why he was so mad. Right, right. You know, and I was wrongfully. like, you know, like yeah, on, exactly. On the one hand, I like that. On the other hand, the, the lately, it, particularly in horror. There have been a lot of things that have sort of changed the killer into a victim. So, like ten years ago, I would have liked that idea, but now I'm like, because you know, Rob Zombie kind of did it with Michael Myers. Um, I, well, there's a there's a difference between making them sympathetic and excusing them altogether, though. Well, yeah, you know, that's I, true. That's a good point. You know, I mean, I, it's it's kind of a fine line to walk. Um, seem to be the phrase I keep falling back on tonight. Well, but, but you're, um, you're absolutely right because talented creators can get away with anything. Yeah, but I mean, if you don't have the talent, then you you just can't. Yeah, but um, but anyways, as far as the Nightmare on Street films are concerned. You know, with the exception of the remake, I actually enjoy all of them, even the ones that I'm not supposed to, like Dream Child and all those. A lot of people hate those later ones, but maybe it's just because I grew up with that stuff, you know, but I I enjoy them all. Oh, I'm, in so. the same, I'm in the same boat, man. I I can find redeeming qualities with all – I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street is, as far as the, the sort of uh, – best known horror franchises go nightmare on elm street's my favorite freddy krueger's my my guy out of, out of the freddy jason leatherface michael myers whatever freddy krueger is my guy uh and and i do i i love all of those movies and like you said i think it's because i i grew up with them it's the same thing as like gi joe where sure i can recognize the flaws but i just don't care yeah because they're just it's just fun. It's it's a fun franchise and there's so much innovation in it. This just the uh, the idea of this guy that can control what happens in your dreams makes it such a rich world of of possibilities. Oh yeah. Yeah. I it, it was the addition of the overt fantasy elements that really made that series pop. Um among you know the uh, the the slasher franchises, I guess uh, you call. Them. But uh, you know, I never really sat down and thought about who my favorite of all those characters was. I'm I'm actually a, a 
like uh, Leatherface quite a bit. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Leatherface, and actually, I, I was going to bring that up, but I will we'll put that on hold for a future episode because I, I want to talk about the the forthcoming prequel. But we got to continue on with panel stuff. We got to <laughs> we got to uh, yeah we we've got to stay on target here. So uh, what what's another panel uh, coming up at Dragon Con this year? Uh, well, I'm, uh, at the moment, I'm planning on doing a panel about Iron Maiden. Which I love that idea because heavy metal and horror obviously go hand in hand. And Iron Maiden, uh, with not only their, their song content, but the injury that people attach them with, with Eddie being their mascot, uh, you know, definitely horror track material. So what, yeah. what is, I mean, you've got to have some pros on this one. Well, actually this one's going to largely be me and me and my friends. Uh, but uh, we, I'm going to try to keep it from just guys shooting the bull and, you know, make it give some sort of structure to it, you know, so you don't feel like you're just listening to a conversation that you could overhear somewhere else. <laughs> right, know? right, but, right. But, uh, you know, but, you know, last year we, at the last minute, I threw together a uh, heavy metal and horror panel, and uh, we got a really good crowd, but while that panel was kind of a last-minute thing, it, I was I deliberately threw it out there as a magnet to see who would show up. Uh, this is the next magnet to see who will show up, <laughs> and I'll keep building on there. Now, originally this panel had been uh, was going to be actually about um, uh, King Diamond's uh, Abigail, oh, album, my gosh. which turns thirty years old, which is thirty this year. Uh, and uh, obviously that is very very relevant to horror. Uh, but at the end of the day, it came down to speakers, and I could not find people who could talk about that. Um, and but on the other hand, I was like, "Hey, how about Iron Maiden?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, well, uh, yeah. Uh, and I I, I understand uh, that like, because uh, Iron Maiden, <sighs> you know, Abigail, you're talking about focusing on one album and finding enough people who can speak with authority on that album. Because I'll tell you right now. Uh, I love Abigail. I love King Diamond, but I wouldn't be comfortable breaking it down and putting it into a horror context. I just don't feel like I would. I have the knowledge or the skill to do that. But Iron Maiden, like I think you've got a much wider pool of people who could talk about Iron Maiden in the context horror. Yeah, and that that that's why that's why uh, I ultimately went with it. Um, I didn't want to just make it heavy metal in general. I wanted to kind of give some sort of focus to it. And, well, and that's but, generally um, smart to do because it's 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 easy to get off track if you've got too broad a topic. Yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how that turns out. But um, yeah, I I really do uh, hope that uh, uh, you know people show up and uh, you know well obviously I want people to show up for my programming in general, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, I would like to see a good crowd turn out for this. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a metal guy and, uh, I, I'm sure you've noticed from Facebook and, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I know that a lot of people from, uh, um, there's a, uh, heavy metal festival, uh, prog power that, uh, generally takes place in September as well in Atlanta. Yes. Uh, it, there's a number of people who, uh, kind of. Uh, come early for Dragon Con and then go to Prog Power. Uh, so 
I'm hoping to pull in some of them too. Uh, see a lot of familiar faces. Oh, very cool, very cool. It's always yeah. nice to have overlap with something else. To, yeah, to kind of double your value, I guess. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we've got time for a couple more. Uh, what are What are some other uh, tasty tidbits on the docket? That's the worst well, Crypt Keeper impersonation anybody has ever done. Uh, I apologize to Derek and to everyone else. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's been worse. <laughs> I haven't heard them, though. <laughs> All right. What, what else have we got? You know, I'm finally doing a Friday the 13th panel. Yes. Uh, well, it's funny because for years uh, I was like, how do you do a Friday the 13th panel? Uh, I mean, you can only do jason's most violent kills you know uh but oddly enough this year i actually have people who can speak with authority on friday the 13th (laughs) well that's the key yeah so i was like you know if ever there was a time i was going to do a friday the 13th based fan panel this is that year so yeah that's the schedule so well and it's i mean it's a worthy franchise and i you know i'll be honest oh yeah it's uh it's it's I don't love it as much as I love Nightmare on Elm Street, but at the same time, I almost feel like it's more influential than Nightmare. Like because Nightmare is too much of its own thing to be drawn from. Yeah. Whereas Friday the Thirteenth is kind of broad enough to where you can see its effects on a much wider scale than you can the Nightmare movies. So I think it, in a way, it's almost a bigger. Uh, type of thing and yeah i've i i could talk about the way that jason murders ridiculous teenagers all night long yeah well it, it, it it's it's uh finally coming for those who've wondered why there's never been a friday the 13th <laughs> it's happening yeah yeah it's a, so, something tells me that uh, my senior directors won't look at that one and go yeah, that doesn't belong on the horror track. I think I, I think that one's pretty much cemented, you know. Um, you know, we got some uh, fan panels, uh, you know, uh, about some of the TV shows. It Bates Motel, uh, uh, Santa Clarita Diet, we're doing a panel on that, and The Exorcist as well. Uh, uh, we have one for Preacher, you know, so. And I, I love the fact that you got Preacher. Because it, I, to me, it belongs squarely in the hands of the horror track, uh, particularly with the second season progressing as it is. So I'm I'm really excited to kind of tune in and, and keep an eye on that one and see what happens with that. You know, Preacher is actually a good example of how me and uh, Carol uh, work together because that one was sort of thrown out, and it was like, well, kind of which which track does this belong to? And I was just like, I'll take it. And Carol's like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, it wasn't like there was a whole lot of mine, mine, right, mine, right, right. You know, um, it, it's odd. I think Preacher might have fit more properly into uh, when we had the old dark fantasy track because it is kind of a neither here nor there kind of franchise. Uh, you know, show when you think about it. Yeah, but. I think horror is the best fit if you got to break it down. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Think, largely because I think that's what the fan base is pulling from. Is I think some, some of the things, some of the things we cover. I think um, a lot of times it comes down to: is this going to play to this particular fan base? 
you know, so. I I think it will. I think the, the horror fan base more, you know, if you had to break it down into a pie chart, uh, us horror fans are going to be the biggest contingent of preacher viewers out of any of the other ones. All right. Well, little puppy Luna is giving me the go home cue by which I mean she needs to go out. So. Have you got one last panel, one last big thing you want to put over that you're excited about before we wrap this thing up? Um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm going to, uh, I, after much thought, I'm going to uh, continue the Dread Punk series. Uh, we're going to be have I've uh, scheduled House of Dread Punk this year. So uh, after uh, Dread Punk and uh, Bride of Dread Punk, we've got House of Dread Punk this year. <laughs> Perfect. Now, for yeah. the listeners who may not know exactly what that category is, uh, give give us give us an idea of what Dread Punk encompasses. Oh, it, it's a tongue in cheek term I came up with uh, because I got tired of saying costume horror. And <laughs> let's just face it, costume horror is a terrible name. Uh, <laughs> You know, and and I was like, you know, everything is something punk, uh, dread punk, yeah. But uh, actually, a lot of it came from the fact that, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of gothic horror, but uh, I grew up in the '90s, so a lot of my tastes are influenced by um, things like uh, uh, Coppola's Dracula, you know, uh, Tim Burton when he was in his prime, you know, things like Sleepy Hollow. Sure. You know, sure. I even I, I even like the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein, which about me and about maybe three other people seem to like. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, I loved uh, uh, Ravenloft, the uh, Ravenloft RPG set. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, you know, uh, I never got fully immersed into Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, that Ravenloft, I I got. Well, I read the books, um, and I, I that was very compelling to me. But uh, yeah, but basically, uh, to me, when I when I coined the term dread punk, uh, it was I would say neo gothic horror. I guess might be a it, another way of putting it. But uh, tongue in cheek term, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I love. But at the great. same, yeah, I, I think uh, some people take it a little bit more seriously than I am. But uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, neo gothic horror. Uh, uh, typically with a uh, uh, Victorian or Victorian influence setting, um, and uh, that's that's pretty much what this is coalesced into. Uh, I, I, at this point, I'm saying that dread punk is more the fandom for these things than sure. an actual genre in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, you know. But um, but anyways, yeah. Some people. Uh, the reason there's House of Dread Punk is uh, there's some people who have actually picked the flag up and started using it. And these are some of these are people I don't even, I didn't even know. So this panel is going to kind of explore what I'm calling the next generation. You know, the people who have picked up the term and are are currently using it without humoring me. (laughs) Yeah. In case you're wondering everyone, Charles Adams is an integral part of the, uh, a dread punk DNA. I'm if if you don't have a sense of humor about it somewhere, you're doing it wrong. I, I so. think yeah, I think that's a perfect way to a perfect touchstone for it. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, awesome. I am super stoked about Dragon Con this year. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you again and working with the horror track again. We are just a few weeks away from this thing. I can't believe it. I, I know. And for the listeners, uh, the Dragon Con app will probably be available within the next few weeks. You can go in there, look for the horror track, look at all the panels and figure out what you want to see and when. And, uh, man, I'm just excited. It's this close to Dragon Con. It's almost go time. Yeah, yeah, it, that that it is. I uh, to quote my friend, uh, science fiction author Clay Gilbert, Dragon Con. It's either next year or next week. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's great, Derek. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, talking about horror, talking about the horror track, and I uh, look forward to seeing you, man. Cool. Thanks again for uh, having me on, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. If you like the music that precedes the interviews on this show, and how could you not, because it's badass surf rock, please go check out my pals at themysterymenofsurf.com, or you can go to Facebook and go to Mystery Men of Surf, or, or rather, search for Mystery Men of Surf. Uh, find their Facebook page, give it a like, and get all of their music. Check them out. They're awesome. They're playing some festivals right now. If you go to the website, you can see uh, all the different shows they're going to be playing. But these guys were kind enough to let me use their music as the interstitial music for the podcast uh, pretty much since year one. And uh, it's it's awesome. I think it fits the show really well. I think it's cool, engaging music. And uh, I, I love it. I love hearing it each and every episode uh, that I use it. Sometimes I I feel that something different is called for but I, it's always fun for me to go into that album and, and pick a track out and, and throw it on here I, I love listening to this stuff hope you guys enjoy it too so please go check out my pals the mystery men of surf uh, they are weirdos from outer space and of course they're awesome all right dragon con is rapidly approaching very soon on supportphantom.com i will be publishing two podcasts uh, one detailing what's going on with Dragon Con and one just talking about other stuff. Uh, maybe some stuff that's interfering with me getting ready for Dragon Con. So check that out too. And just know that you're supporting the site, you're supporting Phantom Troublemaker, and uh, you're supporting this podcast that goes up each and every Friday at NeedlessThingsSite.com. Just remember all of that and say hi to me at Dragon Con. Say hi. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. And of course, it's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. <laughs>